You are Locked On Ravens, your daily Baltimore Ravens podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. And we are back here with Locked On Ravens. I am your host, Kevin Ostriker of Ravens Wire. And on another Taco Tuesday episode, we have Spencer Schultz of Baltimore Beatdown back with us once again. Spencer, how are you doing today? Doing fantastic. Glad to be back and talking some Ravens football, talking some NFL football. We are in the dog days, uh, about to start entering the dog days of summer. We don't have training camp yet, and hopefully we're able to have that resume as normal. But for now, we are you know digging for content, trying to keep you guys entertained, keep you guys interactive, and have a good time doing it. Exactly. And, and starting off, we did have some content to go over today, Spencer, and part of that is with the football season potentially either not happening on time or having some things a little bit different than what it would be had the coronavirus not struck the world as hard as it did. There was some news, and that news is that coaches were allowed back in the facility. The Ravens coaches were some of those that went back. How big of a step is this for NFL teams to have the option to let their coaches go into the facilities that have been closed for months and months? And in terms of the Ravens and their coaches being back, how does this help them prepare for the 2020 season? You know, you just think of it the same way as the independent states starting to have their phases, phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four of reopening things so at this point you know facilities are back open but players are not allowed in uh i've heard speculation from tom pelissero and a couple other reputable nfl sources that uh players could be allowed back by the end of june something of the sort it definitely you know takes a toll uh at this point it takes a toll as far as you know let's say matt skura you want to see where matt skura is at you want to have your doctors and your trainers bring come in and uh, have Skura come in and, and check him out, see where he's at, see how they can help uh, develop a plan. I mean, they can do that remotely, but uh, injury and, and things like that. And then definitely I've also seen rumors of potentially having, you know, limited mini camps for rookies and new additions, uh, something of the sort to try and get guys integrated. They don't, they haven't even seen the facility yet. Uh, the rookies, you know, Patrick Queen hasn't seen the facility yet. Malik Harrison hasn't seen the facility yet. Calais Campbell, same deal. So trying to get those guys to a point where they're familiar, they know what's going on. I mean, they're not even probably situated in Baltimore yet. At this point, you know, you would think they would have a townhouse or an apartment or something of the sort to have somewhere to stay, somewhere to live uh, for their new home for the next couple of years. And it's difficult when, you know, things are all tied up at this point and you can't really navigate those waters the way you would like to, but they'll adapt. They'll, they have advanced technology. They'll be able to improvise and overcome uh, players, I'm sure, you know, it, it's going to be up to their own prerogative to an extent. And you're going to see guys maybe coming out of shape. You're going to see guys maybe coming in the best shape of their lives because they're bored. Um, they couldn't, you know, go extensively vacation and do those sorts of things. But at this point, they definitely, you know, people are starting to miss football. I'm sure they're starting to miss football. Uh, the, the true junkie, the true player, you know, Hollywood Brown is the definition of that. This offseason, a guy who can't keep his feet off a of field. And once they get back in, get to work. And I'm sure there's plenty of other players that fit the same bill. Whereas there's guys that, you know, maybe have slacked, maybe have fallen behind. And that's at every level that's going to, you know, take place at the college level. And that's why it's imperative that strength and conditioning coaches recognize that don't push players too hard, uh, ease them in because otherwise you're going to hear hamstrings snapping left and right. Uh, if they don't properly, you know, integrate their players back in smoothly and, and try and take it easy at first and see where they're at and get them progressed. And if you try to rush, that's how injuries happen. 
but yeah, you know, teams that have a lot of continuity from 2019 to 2020, you have to figure will be a little bit better off. And the Ravens have a ton of it. They have some new linebackers. They've got, you know, a couple new interior offensive linemen. Uh, but other than that, you know, secondary defensive front is veterans. You brought in Wolf and you brought in Campbell. You brought in Matabuik. So there's a, a spot. But other than that, I mean, tight ends, offensive line for the most part, receivers, uh, three of the same, Boykin, Sneed, and, and Hollywood Brown. You got your quarterback back, uh, three or four running backs. Your special teams are still intact. So a lot of continuity for the Ravens overall. And so it feels like that'll help them in the long run. They also bring back one of the few teams bringing back head coach, special teams coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. That's paramount. And having the same system and being able to build on it in training camp. Uh, guys that are running an entirely new offense or defense or special teams and, and are going to try and switch it up or going to struggle a little bit more. You have to think they just have less time, uh, less in-person interaction, things of the sort. So glad that Greg Roman stayed, that Wink Martindale stayed. Uh, Chris Hewitt stayed and or Chris Horton stayed and uh, you'll, you'll have many of the same coaches back. Uh, James Urban, everybody, the whole crew is back, it feels like. So Ravens should be in a good spot as opposed to other teams that are not in a similar situation. Yeah, the continuity part of this Ravens team, it's really important, especially in a time like this. But something that the NFL put out were actually some social distancing guidelines, things that NFL teams, the steps they can take to promote social distancing, things such as removing furniture and maybe even making lines for the six feet apart when you talk about social distancing. And that's the FDA guideline that you looked at and see you know, the Ravens might need to look in, you know, this chemistry that the Ravens have. It's obviously one of the best in the entire NFL, Spencer. And when you look at these guidelines being put in place, obviously it's for the safety of the players, the coaches, the players and coaches, families, everybody. But when you look at this from a chemistry perspective, Spencer, would this have any effect on that? Maybe players won't be, you know, push to stay in the locker room after practice. Maybe it's, you know, you're in, you're out, and that's that. And then maybe they don't have as much time with their fellow teammates. Do you sense anything like that as a potential outcome of this social distancing, or is it really not a big deal for you? No, I don't find it to be a big deal in that way. And I find it a little, I guess, ceremonious for show, perhaps. The guys in the football field are going to come into contact with each other physically. They're going to hit each other. They're going to be blocking. They're going to be tackling. They're going to be you know, practicing technique, using the same pads, using the same things. And um, I think they're just testing, you know, they're, they're going to obviously test them, see who has it, try and do what they can that way. I know a lot of uh, college football teams have already, you know, had their testing done. And like you mentioned, Alabama earlier, I know University of Maryland has already uh, had players undergo testing as of yesterday. And that's going to be important, but it feels like the coronavirus situation is somewhat definitely slowing down and the players are going to be able to get on the football field and that's what's important at the end of the day. And it's, it's a business more so than it is, you know, peewee football. And again, most of the team is back. Uh, they're returning four or five starting offensive linemen, two tight ends, three of your top receivers, your quarterback, three of your running backs, a uh, bunch of guys on defense, whole secondary, you know, new pieces along the front seven. But uh, overall, you know, those guys know each other for the most part. They're in contact. Harbaugh has been in contact. They've been in their zoom meetings and generally it's, it's a fraternity, you know, the entire NFL, the entire you know, elite college football scene is a fraternity for the most part. They know each other. They've trained together. They've they've had teammates. They've overlapped coaches. They've worked with someone, you know, uh, things of the sorts. So they all know each other, and it is a business, so they do have to carry themselves professionally in a way. But uh, I think that, you know, by the end of training camp and by the time the season starts, they'll, they'll know each other adequately, and everything will be fine in that regard. So, again, having the same system in place uh, makes it a lot easier to fall into line instead of, 
you know, trying new things, trial and error, and then trying to bring in something new. So the Ravens, again, you know, just that continuity from the coaching staff, from the front office, uh, everything, you know, people in the building, ownership, all the way down through, who knows? I mean, I, I don't know the ins and outs, but I imagine a lot of the same employees in the facility will be back and the Ravens will be in a good place because of that. Yeah, I think so too. And, and the chemistry this team has, I don't think that any social distancing guidelines will will get in the way of that, even if you know they can't stay in the locker room as much. Because you mentioned all this continuity that the Ravens do have. It's really, really important. But Spencer, when you talk about the coaches and, and you know even guys like Eric DaCosta and the people who make the decisions, especially on the free agency front, the Ravens went through free agency remotely, and that was that was a different and difficult time. But now that coaches and decision makers are allowed back into the facilities, you know, the Ravens roster right now, I'd say, you know, it's very deep and they don't need to make many more additions, if any. But for Baltimore Spencer, their cap situation, as we'll get into later, it's looking pretty good right now, although they don't have a ton of money to go out and splurge on, let's say, Jadavian Clowney. But there are still a few value-free agents that Baltimore could potentially bring in. Do you think Baltimore was maybe waiting for these guys to be allowed back in the facility so they could get together, sit down, and maybe you know have this in-person contact in order to develop a strategy for other guys who they potentially want to bring in? Or do you think that the Ravens are just waiting to see who else maybe gets cut or becomes available? Well, there's certainly an aspect of it. And you mentioned Jadevian Clowney and uh, a couple other guys come to mind. There's an aspect to it. I mean, teams weren't able to even bring in the NFL draft prospects for private workouts. And you have to think that guys that maybe have a little bit of injury history, you want to bring them in. You want to talk to them. You want to work them out. You want to see them in person, uh, see what's going on, see what their mental situation is, see what their physical situation is, have your doctors, your own doctors be able to get their paws on them and, uh, you know, take reports and, and run diagnostics and all that good stuff. So definitely believe that with veteran players, guys who have had injuries, things of the sort, we talked about Matt Skirt early, the Ravens are going to want to be able to, you know, anybody they bring in, get in to the facility, talk with them, uh, run their typical procedure on them and all that good stuff. And the Ravens have a long history of making kind of some late additions in the early months of summer and even midsummer. So I definitely believe the Ravens would be in the market for a couple other additions. And uh, they do have, you know, a couple options as far as Brandon Williams, Earl Thomas, Marcus Peters, uh, Nick Boyle, a couple other guys. They're able to slide some things around as far as cap goes. So they definitely could open something up and would be able to bring in another addition if they see fit. And maybe it's someone that they want to bring into the facility and talk with and meet in person and uh, how that goes. But I feel that, you know, doing things over Zoom, doing things remotely has proven effective. But in the end, you know, the Ravens are pretty strict and, and both of the Baltimore Bird teams, even the Baltimore Orioles, they've notoriously uh, turned people away. You think of Michael Brockers. Let's say the coronavirus pandemic doesn't come to be. Michael Brockers is able to come to Baltimore. Maybe the, the team is a little bit more comfortable with his ankle situation and uh, things of the sort. They weren't able to get the diagnostic done on his ankle that they wanted to. And that ended up breaking the deal. And Brockers returns to L.A. And now Derek Wolf is a Raven. So. Uh, that was definitely a situation that was influenced by this pandemic, and maybe things go differently otherwise, but uh, perhaps not either way. So hindsight's always twenty twenty. but I believe the Ravens definitely are excited to be back and be able to get guys in and free agents and potential trades and, you know, talk in person and have their technology and their setup and their work setup. I think a lot of people that work from home would be able to say, you know, as great as your home setup is, you probably feel a slight bit more productive in your office setup. So uh, it is what it is, and the Ravens will make do. 
Yeah, I think so too. There's always that aspect of you that you mentioned of, you know, being in physical, you know, contact with people and getting them in and seeing what their injury history is like, as you mentioned. But the remote system that free agency was and even the draft was, as you mentioned, it proved to be effective. But Spencer, we're going to head into our first break here. And when we return, we're going to be getting into the Ravens salary cap situation and just how they're going to have to move some money around and what some of these players who are coming off of their rookie deals are going to be worth. So stay tuned for that and we will be right back. And we are back with our second segment of this Taco Tuesday Locked on Ravens episode. Kevin Ostreicher is still here with Spencer Schultz. And Spencer, we just talked about some of the coronavirus effects on the NFL, what it potentially could be like coaches being let back into facilities But now as we get into our second segment, I wanted to take a few segments and talk about the Ravens and their salary cap situation. Now, at the moment in 2020, as we speak, the Ravens, according to SportTrack, have just over $7 million in cap space. But they don't have to re-sign any of their big, you know, good rookie players who are on rookie contracts. And I think a a big person who the Ravens, the first guy they're going to have to re-sign is Ronnie Stanley. It's been there's been a lot of speculation about Ronnie Stanley and just how much money he's going to either demand or the Ravens are going to be willing to pay him. What's your take on this Ronnie Stanley situation and just how much do you think the Ravens are going to end up paying him? Well, you go ahead and look at Laramie Tunzel first and a draft mate of Ronnie Stanley, a couple of picks behind him, a guy that was linked to Baltimore, but ultimately, you know, ends up working out for the best. Ronnie Stanley has been nothing short of amazing in Baltimore. And uh, the the thing about Laramie Tunzel is that he had leverage. The Texans, as Bill O'Brien has notoriously botched several situations, uh, traded for Tunzel before there was a contract extension. And that is, you know, taboo. That's a no-no uh, because you end up with a player who and an, and an agent who knows these guys traded multiple first round picks for my client, I guess, and they can't let him go. They must pay him whatever it is. So Tunsil's inflated a little bit. And, you know, it, you, you see Tunsil's number and it goes up and, and you think about Ronnie Stanley, you know, he's going to want to be near the top. But also in the end of the day, you know, the Ravens brought Ronnie Stanley in. He gets to stay where he is. He doesn't have to move. He's comfortable with the organization clearly. And if I were the Ravens front office, I would try to have honest conversations with Ronnie Stanley. And that's something the Ravens have, you know, players in the past, Tony Jefferson, Eric Weddle, all these guys uh, talk about how honest the Ravens are. And I think that the approach that the Ravens brass should have with Ronnie Stanley and his representation is, you know, bring him in, give him a presentation, sit down and say, hey, you know, we want to pay you handsomely. We want to pay you top of the market. Here is where we're projecting cap to go. You know that Eric Tacasa's front office is projecting cap, making projections, you know, trying to give it their best college guess. Uh, through much research as to where the cap is going to go up in the upcoming in years and then who they might want to resign and how much that might cost. Uh, maybe you don't want to exactly divulge who you plan to resign and who you don't just because you want to maybe keep that a little bit more tight lipped, but uh, try and give an idea of, Hey, you know, we want to pay you. This is what we think you deserve. And, you know, you're asking for this, you're asking for this and try and show Ronnie Stanley where the Ravens think his cap number gets too high and why and what it restricts and how that could negatively impact the rest of the, the roster configuration in terms of cap space and try and have those honest conversations with him and, you know, give him and his representation food for thought, pay him handsomely, show him where it's going to start constricting things and, and impacting the roster and making the Ravens have to be a little bit more sneaky and uh, or I guess not sneaky, but clever and, and doing different things. Because, you know, of course, Ronnie Stanley feels like a guy that values winning. He is from Notre Dame. He's st- stuck with the Ravens and he has never been 
that, you know, rah, rah, I want money kind of guy. He even said in a recent interview, you know, at the end of the day, money's not all that matters, but he does want to be paid what he's worth. And that's an absolutely reasonable, logical approach from Ronnie Stanley. And uh, that fits his personality, fits the way that he is. And he does major things for the community. So he's a great guy. You think he's going to do good things with the money that you give him. But, uh, you know, show him where it's going to hurt and start hurting and how you want to win. And obviously, you know, incentivize the hell out of him for playoffs, for Super Bowls, for all pros, all that good stuff. Uh, give him the incentives. And and if he takes, you know, a little bit lesser to have those incentives and have the opportunity to maybe keep Mark Andrews, keep Orlando Brown, keep Lamar Jackson, keep Marlon Humphrey, keep Matt Judon, any of those guys, uh, Hollywood Brown down the road, keep all those guys. That's going to be a better football team, a football team of guys. I presume that he probably enjoys their company and enjoys the talent and what they bring as peers of his on the football field. So just try overall, try and have an honest approach. Let him know where it's going to start to hurt you and give him and his representation that food for thought and see if it resonates with him. If it doesn't, uh, at least it was worth the try. I don't see how it hurts you. So in the end, I think Ronnie Stanley might not end up commanding exactly what Laramie Tunsil got, maybe a little bit less uh, with some better incentives and, and a little bit more restructure ability and things like that. And of course, he doesn't have to move. That's less expense for him, you know, staying in one state as opposed to going somewhere else uncertain and having to sell homes, buy homes, doing all that stuff. Uh, definitely incurs cost, but taxes are another factor of it and all that good stuff. So it's very complicated, but honesty, I think, is the best policy in this situation. Yeah, I think so, too. And for Baltimore, it's going to be very important on how they manage these contracts because down the line, as you mentioned, there are a lot of guys, especially on the offensive side of the ball, that are going to need to be paid. So if you put too much money into somebody early, it's going to hinder your ability to assign these guys later. And the main guy here, Spencer, it's Lamar Jackson, valued at just over $37 million by Track. And when you look at the Ravens and their salary cap situation, they have a little bit of wiggle room in 2021 and beyond. Now, obviously, some veterans contracts are going to be coming off the books there. But in terms of Lamar Jackson, Spencer, just how much of his contract or his future contract is going to be tied to the deal that Patrick Mahomes gets? And then how do you think the Ravens handle that salary cap? You know, you hear this figure, $37 million, and uh, you think that's astronomical. But then you go ahead and look at how the way teams navigate the cap breakdown and how they take the hit from year to year. I mean, Demarcus Lawrence, they signed him to a max $105 million contract. Uh, he had $48 million fully guaranteed at signing, and he got a $25 million signing bonus. Uh, he got a $4.6 million roster bonus, which was about three days after signing. But you go ahead and look at 2019, the first year of his contract. That cap hit is $11 million. So that allows the Cowboys last year to have some flexibility. This year it is $21.9 million. They can't move on from him through 2021, or else they'll incur a ton, a ton, a ton of dead space. Uh, but then in the final year of the contract, his cap hit is $26 million. And that, as opposed to uh, what the $26 million cap hit would be at the beginning of the contract, is a different world. By 2023, you have to think that with a new CBA, with a new TV deals, uh, how competitive that's going to get. You have to think that the cap is going to increase. The projections before coronavirus were uh, you know, up at this time next year of around $260 million. Uh, which would be a hefty increase, but that's what happens after a CBA and TV deals. You know, coronavirus has thrown a little wrench into that, but ultimately you have to think that the TV deals are going to go up, if anything, if NFL football is played. And let's even say that fans aren't allowed to attend games. They're going to watch it on TV. Ratings are going to be through the roof. Uh, you know, football is going to be 
one of the first sports to come back. Basketball is, is going to resume at the end of July, whereas, you know, usually that would have been transpiring this entire time. Baseball is still up in the air. Probably feels like it's going to be July. People are going to be jonesing for sports. Get ahead of it. Pay them early. Look at Dak Prescott. The Cowboys had the opportunity to sign him uh, about 18, 19 months ago to a $24 million average annual value, and now Dak wants 35. So get ahead of it. Sign your quarterback and try and, you know, set the market early so that it doesn't hurt you later. Yeah, I mean, for me at least, I think that Lamar Jackson, there's there's going to have to be a little bit of planning, some preparation, but then, yeah, you have to manipulate the cap in, in the way that you need to in order to sign guys down the road because even after Lamar Jackson, there are guys like Hollywood Brown who need to be re-signed also, and other guys in that Lamar Jackson draft include Mark Andrews and Orlando Brown Jr. That year where Lamar Jackson has to be re-signed is going to be a big year, Spencer. Is there any maybe, I guess, inkling of doubt in your mind that the Ravens are going to be able to re-sign those three guys in Lamar Jackson, Mark Andrews, and Orlando Brown? I would say no. I think that the Ravens value the tight end position extremely, and that's kind of in their uh, kind of core as a franchise and their constitution. Uh, they have loved having tight ends and having successful ones. Lamar Jackson obviously uses them so, so, so much, the same way that Joe Flacco did, Ozzie Newsom himself, a Hall of Fame tight end, so it all makes sense. And you look at Mark Andrews, a guy who's able to move all over and, and do all those sorts of things. If he's able to stay healthy through this year and, and do all that, uh, the Ravens ask a lot more of their tight ends than other teams. So Mark Andrews getting a deal that's you know near the top of the market is going to be worth the money for the things that you ask him to do. Uh, he t- makes most of his money as a receiver, split out wide. Uh, he's not you know an incredible blocker, but then you look at Orlando Brown. Um, I don't see the Ravens letting Orlando Brown go. It just doesn't make sense. Uh, it, it feels, you know, this is a little bit of a fan perspective, but it felt like too much of destiny that he falls out of the first round and uh, has this horrible combine and grows up in Baltimore with his father playing for the Ravens right tackle. And then the Ravens are able to get him in the third round. He ends up being a Pro Bowl right tackle. Uh, it, it just feels like it would be spitting in the face of destiny to let go of Orlando Brown. And when you look at other teams around the league, the typical kind of configuration is to have six or seven contracts that are up there that are high that are currently, you know, you look at last year that are 15 million plus There's a lot of successful teams that had four five, six, sometimes seven guys in that 15 million plus range, uh, having a quarterback handicaps that a little bit, but a lot of teams still do it. And a team like the Ravens, that's able to draft. It's able to find value that, has been so far ahead in the analytics game and, and finding positional value and sort of those things, uh, you feel like they'll be able to keep those guys. So when you look down the road in a couple of years, it feels like they'll end up keeping Lamar Jackson, Ronnie Stanley, Orlando Brown, Mark Andrews, Marlon Humphrey, uh, and, and, and we'll see what happens on defense. But at this point, you know, Marlon Humphrey, Marcus Peters has already been signed for a couple more years, but Humphrey is the only really young guy that's due and ready to go. So, you know, that's what, five guys? That's not crippling at all. So I think the Ravens will be in a good position. I think that Eric Costa is usually on his P's and Q's and Ravens will be in a good spot. But at the end of the day, I try not to worry. It feels like fans kind of worry about that a lot. And they saw what happened with the Joe Flacco situation and worries them a little bit in the configuration. And hopefully the Ravens learn from that. But Lamar Jackson's going into year three. He's not going to get paid on a new extension. Uh, he'll, he'll get a signing bonus, but his, his cap hit is not going to reflect an extension until 2023. So that's a little bit down the road. The Ravens need to try and capitalize on the rookie contract. The rookie quarterback contracts have taken place in, I believe, six of the previous 12 Super Bowls, um, with a lot of the other ones being Tom Brady, who took a friendly deal 
and he had kind of a unique situation because of his extremely successful wife. But uh, you look at that and you have to say, all right, well, let's capitalize. And I think that the Ravens, you know, that's why I'm, I'm, I've been an advocate of them making a move like a Jadeveon Clowney, like a Jamal Adams, something to take them over the top and try and bring another Lombardi trophy because that trophy ends up bringing in a lot more revenue in the long term, more cash in the pocket of Steve Bashotti for better, even better facilities, even more cash to you know deal with those big contracts and deal with all of that and, and make the Ravens organization the best that it can be. Because, you know, at the end of the day, Steve Bashotti is a businessman. They want to make money and winning Super Bowls brings in money. Yeah, I, th- I think so, too. It's all, it's all just one big chain reaction. And for Baltimore, they have players who they do need to re-sign, but it's going to be a while before those contracts actually have a huge, huge, massive effect on that salary cap. And we're going to get into the defense in the third segment here when we get back talking about Marlon Humphrey, Matthew Judon, and more. So stay tuned, and we will be back soon. Welcome back to the final segment of our Taco Tuesday Locked on Ravens episode. Kevin Ostreicher, your host, still here with Spencer Schultz of Baltimore Beatdown. And Spencer, we just talked about the offense and how the Ravens are going to have to maneuver their cap and these guys who are going to have pretty massive contracts handed out to them on the offensive side of the ball. But now getting into defense, as you mentioned, there aren't a ton of guys on the defensive side of the ball for Baltimore who are going to be demanding big contracts, at least not at this very moment. But the one that comes to mind right off the bat is Marlon Humphrey. And you mentioned Laramie Tunsil when talking about Ronnie Stanley and how trading multiple picks for him without getting an extension was a bad move by the Texans. Well, the Los Angeles Rams did the same exact thing with Jalen Ramsey. And you look at Byron Jones' contract with the Miami Dolphins. The Ravens are going to have to pour a lot of money into Marlon Humphrey. Is that worth it? And how much money do you think he's going to end up getting? Yeah, it's absolutely worth it to retain Marlon Humphrey. He's a number one corner. He fits their scheme as a press man corner. That's why they somewhat surprisingly took him in the first round. Marlon Humphrey himself kind of uh, was surprised that he was taken ahead of his teammates in John in uh, OJ Howard and Reuben Foster. He said that immediately after the draft. But then you go look at what Nick Saban asked his DBs to do at Alabama and the way that Marlon Humphrey has been used in Baltimore. And it just makes sense. Press man keeping those cover three and those match principles as well. So Marlon Humphrey makes a ton of sense. He has made over 40 plays on the ball at this point in his career. Uh, over 40, I think I think he has exactly 40 pass deflections and uh, maybe seven interceptions, six interceptions, something of the sort. So uh, he wasn't even a full-time starter until this past year. And him moving into the slot after Tavon Young went down and being you know relatively uh, very effective still was huge. I think that's going to be big for him in his game. And when you go look at the positional value and PFF has been putting out their decade war by franchise, Um, you know, you look at the Ravens, it was Joe Flacco, Marshall Yonda, Ladarius Webb, and I believe Jimmy Smith. I can't recall the fourth one, but cornerbacks are one of the most valuable positions on the football field. And that's why, you know, the people who scream positional value uh, like the guys over at Pro Football Focus, they they say quarterback, left tackle uh, or offensive tackle overall, wide receiver, cornerback and pass rusher, those who affect the passing game and Marlon Humphrey very much does that he had has had the second highest forced incompletion rate in the NFL over the past two seasons forcing over 20 percent of targets his way to be incomplete whether it's with a pass deflection or uh, with an interception so you look at a guy who's only 23 years old already an all pro already has three years under his belt he's durable he's versatile he blitzed 37 times last year whereas a guy like Trey White only blitzed six times last year so Marlon Humphrey yes number one is absolutely worth it and number two, I think, I think again, you know, maybe I'm being a little naive here, perhaps. And if I say I think I am, maybe I, I probably am. But you look at Marlon Humphrey, you look at the type of person he is, you look at where he came from, you look at who his parents are. 
Um, he values winning. He values culture. He values tradition. He values community. Another really great pillar and a guy that, you know, it went to Alabama, another historic blue blood school. His father was an outstanding running back at Alabama and then was a, a pro bowl running back for the Denver Broncos. And uh, he, he might not want, you know, an astronomical number of money. Does he want to get paid? Oh, hell yeah. He wants to get paid. Uh, but he might not want to break the bank if he can kind of keep the band together. And let's say you know, a, a lot of it, a lot of these questions are tough because this, this year still hasn't been pay, played and only one of those guys probably is going to get re-signed potentially. And that's, that's Stanley. And that could happen this year, whether it's this off season or maybe next off season, you have to imagine they're not, not letting him go anywhere, but uh, we're, we're sort of getting to the point where, you know, we need to see what happens in 2020 is Lamar Jackson going to be, a top five quarterback again, you know, I'm fully confident that he is, but there's also a chance that he regresses. Is Marlon Humphrey going to be an all pro again? Uh, are all these guys going to stay healthy? You know, Matt Skura probably would have commanded a lot more money this off season if he didn't tear his ACL. So things change and I don't want to get too far ahead, but you know, yes, Marlon Humphrey is worth it to answer your question. And yes, I think he is going to end up making a major impact. I believe that he is the guy on defense. He's going to turn into the leader. Uh, on defense that sets the tone. He's a big hitter. He's a physical guy. He's a hard worker. Uh, he's high pedigree, blue blood school, uh, championship caliber, all that good stuff. So that's a guy the Ravens are going to want to hang on to, and he's been damn effective. So I don't see any situation where Marlon Humphrey is not a Baltimore Raven for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I think it's just really important to be able to retain those guys who have made an impact when you invest, you know, those mid-high first-round picks into them. And Marlon Humphrey is that guy who is versatile. We saw him work in the slot last season. And I think that for Baltimore, having, you know, he's a mainly a press corner, as you mentioned, but having him as a backup option for, you know, maybe if Tavon Young does go down again and the Ravens don't decide to bring in another backup slot cornerback, it's important to have that versatility on your roster as well. But finally here, Spencer, the Ravens have a lot of money right now tied up into that defense. Earl Thomas, Brandon Williams, I mentioned Tavon Young, Marcus Peters, Matthew Judon on the franchise tag. They're going to have to transition some of that money, it looks like, into the offense, and maybe they can retain some guys. You know, maybe they will resign Matthew Judon after this and give him that extension. Maybe they might cut Brandon Williams. When you look at these high-priced defensive players currently on this Ravens roster, who do you expect to maybe not be there next year or in a couple years, and who do you expect the Ravens to prioritize maybe restructuring some deals? Judon is a difficult one because he drops into coverage so much and he is a Sam linebacker in the Ravens defense. Um, he is asked to cover. He is asked to blitz. He's asked to play the run and do so adeptly. And he really is super strong in coverage. He, uh, I don't have the statistics right in front of me, but he, I've tweeted it out before. He has been very strong in coverage and the Ravens asked him to do that a lot. Uh, PFFs also has him as the highest rated, you know, th th this is something that somewhat irritates me with the entire situation regarding Judon. Um, that PFF put out an article that got a ton of buzz around the kind of football community and then specifically the Ravens community of how, you know, whatever it was, 41% of his pressures and hits or whatever it was were uh, up, untouched or something of the sort. But then I also saw PFF tweet out at one point that Matthew Judon was the highest rated edge player in the NFL with a minimum of 200 pass rushes when his defense blitzed to set five or more. So that's called a scheme fit. Yet again, you have a guy that's outstanding at executing blitzes and you're on a defense that blitzes at a higher rate than any team in NFL history. So that's a match made in heaven. Uh, the difficult part with Judon is that he's a little bit older than someone who's receiving a second contract. Typically, he's, you know, 20, he was 23 
uh, almost 24 when he was drafted at this point, he's almost 28. So it's a little bit difficult. You would ideally like him on a somewhat team friendly, you know, uh, three-year deal or something of the sort where you're not banking on him playing at a super high level when he's 31, 32. But Judon has only gotten better every single year. Um, he was a little weaker against the run than you'd like to see. But you end up you know, looking at a guy who's one of the better pass rushers in the NFL. He's probably a number one pass rusher on you know, 10, 15 teams in the league. So he should be paid as such. Uh, it's just difficult. So it's difficult to project where he is. And we haven't seen how Eric DaCosta navigates that franchise tag water yet. Uh, but it feels like Judon makes an impact for sure. Again, this year is going to make a major impact into whether the Ravens want to resign him or what they want to do. Moving on, you look at Brandon Williams. He's done a good job. He you know, takes on double teams well, does all that stuff. But it's difficult to justify paying someone who doesn't rush the passer effectively that amount of money. Um, it, it was a bad contract. He didn't play. You know, He didn't really ever get better. His best year was probably his contract year with his second best year being this past year. Um, he's on, you know, getting older and has a hefty kit hit for a nose guard, but, uh, you know, people make a lot of buzz about him playing out of position and, uh, moving on, moving around and doing a lot of different things. But at the end of the day, he was still taking on double teams. Uh, he was not a good pass rusher by any definition. He, I believe had a 4% pressure rate. So for every hundred pass rushes, he got pressure on four of them. Uh, that's bad. That's really bad. He is not a pass rusher. You can't pay a nose guard that it feels like you know the Ravens have been able to find Michael Pierce uh they just you know they picked up Dalen Mack last year it feels like those guys are a little bit easier to find and that's not maybe an area where you want to end up paying 15 million dollars so uh it feels like yeah absolutely Brandon Williams might not be on the defense next year yeah it's interesting to look at all these contracts and you know especially with Brandon Williams and with the <sighs> looming Matthew Judon extension or whatever is coming with Matthew Judon you know it's interesting to see because that money will some of it at least will have to be allocated into the offense but the Ravens they have a plan and they know that this day is coming where they're gonna have to start moving money around they've been doing it for years you you go back to the Joe Flacco contract restructuring Marshall Yonder restructuring you know it's so interesting to see how the Ravens maneuver their cap. But Spencer, that's all that I have for you today. Thank you once again for coming on the show. And next week, as we've talked about time and time again, the name of the game, it's content. Absolutely. It was a pleasure again, Kevin. And you make a great point there to sum it up. You know, the Ravens didn't end up giving Joe, they gave Joe Flacco a monstrous contract and they don't end up spending on the offensive side of the ball to help him out when he wasn't, you know, Peyton Manning. Um, so that was a difficult situation. But again, thank you so much for having me on. Make sure to give Kevin five stars. You can find me at Ravens for Dummies on Twitter. Uh, also articles on BaltimoreBeatdown.com. So thank you so much, everyone. And I hope you have an awesome rest of your week. Yeah, be sure to give Spencer a follow. Go read his stuff. It's really good. And when we get back here tomorrow, we'll be talking about more Ravens talk, of course. So stay tuned for that. And I will see you tomorrow.